You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. I still have nine fingers. Uh, It hasn't grown back yet. I lost my finger in 2005, and it hasn't grown back at all. Now, I don't know if it's supposed to uh, or what the deal is. I've, I've tried just about all the remedies, like rubbing oils, like essential oils on it. Uh, I've talked to one of those ladies who, like, um, they worship crystals. That hasn't helped. Um, I've done almost everything. Hasn't. Maybe I just need to face the facts, look into science. I know some lizards, uh, some lizards actually grow their tails back. It's like a defense mechanism. Like, uh, uh, if something grabs a hold of their tail, their tail will fall off, and then they grow a new tail back. I'm not a lizard, so I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but uh, anyway, finger, if, in case you were wondering, finger has not, grown, has not grown back yet. But if you are wondering what is on this podcast today, I will tell you, we're going to be talking with a guy named Jack Ruthruff from Michigan. Now, I don't know why, just it just happens to be that all of my guests recently are from Michigan. And uh, Jack his experience is a little bit different than some other people's experience who have recently been on, been on. Um, he, he is in an area where there is a lot of pressure on both private and public. He has recently lost his main piece of, of private ground. And, uh, now he has to spread his wings. Uh, he has a four acre private piece that he's going to be able to hunt. It's only four acres. So if he really wants to, uh, spread his wings, he's going to have to go on to, to public. And that's what this episode is about. Kind of like his transition away from the private ground, uh, how he's been out scouting on, uh, public, what he's found so far, some really interesting things that he's found, uh, he he's broken his leg recently, which has kind of keep has kept him out of the woods over the past couple years, and um, he he's now getting closer to 100%, and he's ready to hit the ground running this upcoming season. And uh, so it's a really cool hunter profile type podcast. I I hope you guys uh, enjoy it. If you do, please go to iTunes or wherever you download this podcast leave a five-star review if you are listening to it on the the sportsman's empire network feed leave a five-star review man I, I would really appreciate that other than that man uh 
it's a, it's a good episode, right? Good vibes, right? You hear me talk at the end, it's about good vibes. And whoever needs to hear this right now, this is kind of a, a, a veer off course. I'll get back, I'll get back on here in a second. But um, there's times in your life where you will be surrounded by negativity. And I don't, I'm not trying to make this into like a motivational speech, but there is time where you're going to have to shed some of those people and worry about yourself. Uh, because ultimately your happiness has to be number one priority the way I look at it. And sometimes now don't get me wrong. There there's times to sacrifice right? But if you can't be the best person that you are so that you can be the best person to other people, man, I feel like uh, you're not really committing 100% to the people that you truly love. And so, uh, you know, and sometimes it's hard to step away from those people who are, who are negative, but it, it, it needs to be done in order to make yourself more of a positive person. And I hope that makes sense. Uh, It's just kind of what's rolling around in my head today. And it is all about good vibes and good energy. If you stay positive and you put out positive energy, everything around you will, through osmosis or through the universe or whatever, you you know, hippie shit you want to say, the people around you are going to become positive or less negative or more positive. And that snowballs. And that's what ultimately we want in this world, man. And so uh, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of, of positive attitude, positive energy, um, positive mental thoughts and things like that. So it's all about the good vibes, man. All right, back on course. We got to do commercials. All right. Um, if you're looking for a saddle, man, you got to go check out Tethered, man. Tethered ha- is that community that they've created is second to none. I mean, they have people who are truly interested in helping you become a better saddle hunter or just a hunter in general. And so I love Tethered. Uh, I love the community that they've built. Other products are awesome. So tetherednation.com, go check it out. Uh, Wasp Archery, just again, another company full of great people uh, who have just so happened to have a badass broadhead, right? Seek and destroy whatever they hit they destroy and i am a huge fan of wasp wasparchery.com fixed blades mechanicals i'm a huge fan of the jackhammer very confident in that head and the destruction that occurs when you put it through the soft tissue or any tissue of a whitetail or just you know animals in general so uh, wasparchery.com discount code nfc20 uh last but not well i got two more here Vortex, third company on the docket that is has amazing people who work for it, and it really is you know, the people who make, you know, positive people, uh, good people who make a company successful, right? If you if Vortex was a bunch of assholes, then the company would not be successful. But it's the opposite of that. Whatever the opposite of an asshole is, that's what Vortex is. These people are knowledgeable. They care about the outcome of your interactions with them. And on top of that, they put out the some of the best optics in the market in this industry, period, hands down, right? Spotting scopes, range finders, uh, binoculars, uh, rifle scopes, red dots, you name it, they have it. Go check them out, vortexoptics.com. 
uh, and then last but not least, Hunt Stand. Uh, over this pat, over the course of this partnership, uh, I've really, you know, I've I've gotten to know a couple of the people at Hunt Stand. Again, good people that really truly care about how you interact with their platform and so they're there to help you if you have any questions i mean you can go you can email them you can call them you can uh, you know reach out through social they'll answer they'll get back to you and they'll they'll help you and plus huntstand.com their website has a ton of information on how to properly use their hunting app right and so uh, uh go check out huntstand.com if you're looking for a, a hunting app and that's the commercials we have a new partner coming up in, in the 1st of May and then another new partner coming in in July 1st. Outside of that, uh, we're good to go. If you want to advertise on the Nine Finger Chronicles, your product, or on the, on the network itself as a whole, uh, just reach out to me. Uh, you can hit me up through Instagram. You can uh, send me an email, uh, whatever. So uh, there's that. I think, I think we're good. And the title of this episode is just titled Michigan Public Land. And that is what today's episode is about. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy. So uh, here goes nothing. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Jack Ruthruff. Jack, what's up, man? Not much. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Uh, Where do you live? I live in... uh... Bay City, Michigan, Bay. Uh, right in the yeah Mid Michigan, in the Saginaw Bay region. Okay, all right, and uh, let's see. It's springtime in Michigan, just like it is in Iowa. What's the <laughs> What's the go to activity in spring in uh, springtime for you in, in that part of the state? Springtime for me, I'm not much of a turkey hunter, um, but I have a lot of friends that are. So I'm more prepping for whitetail season. Um, this will be my first year. I'm going to go head up north to tack, shoot uh, total archery challenges here. So I'm getting my my new bow build all set up and ready for that. Gotcha. So you're not a you're not a spring guy. You're kind of like all chips in on on the fall. Pretty much. All right. All right. Cool. And uh, so I I actually. There's a lot of people who have commented both good and bad about Michigan, right? You know, some people, <laughs> some people say it's dog shit. Some people say, "Hey, dude, I, I love this state." You know, and you you put it into perspective, like uh, maybe it's dog shit if you're comparing it against Iowa, but it's pretty good right. if you're if you're uh, comparing it to a state. I don't know, like uh, South Carolina, or uh, you know, some of these other states that are just uh, you know. Lots of hunters, not as good uh, habitat, you know, long gun seasons, things like that. So, what is what is Jack Ruthruff's take on on Michigan? I don't think it's as bad as some people say. Yeah, um, I think a big part is uh, the volume of scouting you're doing mm-hmm. and how hard you want to hunt. Mm-hmm. Some people just have to keep it relative as far as what deer around them. Right. You're not going to shoot a 140-inch deer if there's not a 140-inch, five-and-a-half-year-old buck within 10 miles of you. Right. It's just not going to happen that way. Um, In some areas, a a two-and-a-half-year-old, 100-inch, eight-point might be the biggest buck for three or four miles. So it's all relative on where you're hunting. Um, We do have a lot of public ground. 
Um, that's some people's argument from out of state is you have a lot of public ground, but when you have hundreds of square miles of public ground up north, that's big, big timber. It's yeah. not easy to get on the deer either. Mm-hmm. Are there, have you, I mean, do you hunt that Northern Michigan, big pine stand type, type uh, environment at all? I, I have a couple of times when I was younger, um, and then I did hunt just just at the fringe of it um, for many, many years. We were right at the fringe of the ag and the big timber to take over. Gotcha. I hunted that for years. But as far as getting into the exclusive big timber, away from any ag or virtually any ag, I, I haven't ventured that far north yet. Um, I'd like to. Last year yeah. I had a little a little breakdown i broke my leg uh september 2nd so that kind of was a setback because i did want to get out and pound some public ground here locally and up north but yeah. gotcha. was a little limited so i got a question are there like obviously in the southern part of michigan there's there's giants that come out of there every year like somewhat some like group of landowners <laughs> they come together and and they all talk talk about uh, we're not going to shoot two-year-olds we're not going to shoot three-year-olds you know so we have this big surface area of the state that might be a little bit better managed than other parts of the state now specifically in the northern parts of michigan and maybe in the up i still feel like every once in a while you'll hear about a deer getting shot up there that slips through the cracks and it just straight up gets lucky for a couple years and and makes it to you know makes it to i don't want to put a score on it but like the biggest deer in the area yeah it probably ends up getting into a four and a half to five and a half year old or older Mm -hmm. um and yeah it sometimes it might only be yeah to not put inches on it but to be relative it may only be 120 inch five-year-old because they don't have the minerals and the food right to help produce the big rack so all their yep. energy goes into the body but uh there are some that will slip through the cracks um we do have a lot of big swamps uh, as well in that big timber so they oftentimes will slip into those once the pressure gets on and they aren't wanting to come out yeah especially during daylight yeah all right so just out of curiosity, do you spend most of your time on public or private? Predominantly right now, private. Okay. All right. Uh, but that is going to probably start to shift here. Plan to the last two years and then especially last year until, until my injury. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you know, here in, in Iowa, we have a limited amount of public, a lot of private, uh, and, and so, but I hunt on a example of a property where there is pressure from other hunters and, mm-hmm. and is it the same pressure as, as public? Probably not. Is there a big difference between private and public, uh, in your area of the state? In my area? Yes. Okay. Uh, the public gets hunted very, very hard. Um, the private even, it, gets hunted very hard i know a lot of times you've even referenced it's not always necessarily public or private it's pressured or not pressured exactly Um, and you know we have 40 acre parcels that you have six guys trying to squeeze on it and then we have 
you know, large public parcels where there might only be one person every seven, eight hundred yards or, or further apart yet, but there's still a lot of people going in there. Yeah. So when you have that much pressure, you know, regardless of if it's pre, uh, private or public, how do you personally approach a season trying to locate the the biggest, baddest buck on 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 the gr- on the ground, I guess you could say. I play the chess game, and then I typically go all in during the rut. Yeah, that's I try and find where the does are, where the does are going to be feeding. I start to watch where the bucks are cruising through, say second week of October, and then as they cruise through more and more and more, um, then once the rut, I start to really see the the rut happen and kick off then i just go all in yeah so do you rely a lot on scouting uh and if so what's that look like for you and are you using trail cameras to to locate those bucks Uh, i am using trail cameras um scouting some throughout the summer and early into the fall even um you know, sometimes take nights off to go glass or check cameras or just to stay out to keep the pressure off and let the camera soak an extra couple of days to do the scouting for me. Try to go in on optimum conditions, um, you know, more midday, slip in, slip out, collect my data, and then figure out what day looks best for wind, weather, pressure. um, Yeah. When, when do you... and I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a moon guy as far as that dictates the rut. I'm a moon, more of a moon fan of when the moon is up, I tend to see a lot more movement Okay. during daylight hours. Okay. Um, so like, I don't put it all in on the moon dictates the rut, but if I see a time during the rut or the peak of that first 10, 12 days in November, where there's going to be a full moon, that's I'll even go that that is pretty much my all in right there. I gotcha. All right. And so when when does this process for you start? So I'll, I'll just give you an example. So for me, the process, uh, I've, I have majority of my trail cameras have been removed. They're out of the woods now. Um, you know, there's nothing right now that is grabbing my attention. I do have some mineral that's been out. Uh, the 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 mineral is there just to get deer to come to to the mineral site right now i don't even have trail cameras over top of it and so somewhere around june is when i i officially say i start the process because at that point you can start to see antler development yep and and then i can say okay this is that buck from last year or this is a new buck or or you can start to slowly start putting the pieces of the puzzle together as far as what kind of caliber of deer you have on the on the properties you can hunt. What does your process look like, and when does that start for you? Uh, boots on the ground starts April yep. as far as scouting, starting to narrow down areas of wanting to hunt. Yeah. And then in June is when the cameras will start to come up to try and verify that information yeah. um, might might scratch off some some areas and then continue to scout and maybe find you know pick up new areas and throw move a camera if it hasn't had much activity for 10 days move it on onto another location see if we can 
try and find something there. Yeah. How how often do you move your trail cameras? Because it sounds to me like you're checking them quite regularly throughout the entire <laughs> year. I probably check them more than I should, especially during season. Um, yeah. I, I do have uh, a couple of properties, just the way they lay out. I can get in, get out virtually undetected. Yeah. Um, so that does help and allows me to to do that. Um, I will check them in the summertime about every three weeks, two okay. to three weeks. Okay. So and then, if I see something start to go cold or, or, or something pick up, then I'll just continue to let them soak. Gotcha. Where, where are you putting your trail cameras that have historically given you the best information, whether that's caliber of deer or, or just straight quantity? Um, I'll start in the transition areas closer to bedding, then work in the summertime, then work my way out towards the field, say, uh, or towards food in August up until mid-September and then start to work them back into the transition areas to see, verify that they're still bedding in the same areas and not maybe shifted four or 500 yards away and just using the same trails to come out to the fields Gotcha. or to, uh, to feed. Gotcha. That's unique. That, that's, uh, that surprises me. Are you worried that the amount of times that you're going in, especially if you're in a transition area, uh, closer to a bedding area that you might potentially be bumping deer? Mm. I think I, I, I know I do at times, yeah. um, but I like, I do try to pick that noon day. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Maybe uh, help for noise. Hopefully, in theory, wash away some scent. I hope. Yeah. Um, but I try to be very selective on what days I do go in. Okay. And try not to just blow it up on on a bright sunny day at six o'clock at night when they're going to be starting to move from bedding to feeding. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's less about where the the camera is actually located and more about when you're checking them. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, is there outside of the rut? Right. I, there's there's all these days that trail cameras can tell you a ton of information and so one one thing that i'm always interested in is like uh a couple days ago i have had a cell camera that just went off and i got like 13 or 14 deer (laughs) that day in front of that trail camera at some point and then the next day was like no deer at all and so i always am thinking about what caused those deer to get up and move at this time 
I mean, it was all day long. There's a movement all day long. Uh, what caused them to do this? What were the conditions? What was the win and things like that? Have you ever identified any type of, I don't know, like correlation uh, of events or uh, weather patterns that you've seen, like running trail cameras that ha- may have caused a deer to move like consistently or you know it, it for example if the, if it does this every i know that there's going to be more deer on my camera just your most you know cold fronts coming in yeah um, more of the common things like that yeah and like i said uh, when i see the moon up in the sky i notice significantly more deer out in fields up on their feet just whether it's later in the morning earlier in the evening yeah um just whenever that moon is up that's when i tend to see increased daylight movement gotcha okay all right uh and so every year you you know you 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 were collecting trail camera uh, data. What are you hoping to take away from that trail camera data? Big part is verifying what bucks are in the area mm-hmm. or does. If I see I have a significant amount of does in an area, um, I might just keep that as an ace up the sleeve as far as trying to go in to make a move during the rut. Um, try not to burn the area out but just leave that as kind of a, a bit of a reserve area, let it rest, and then go in and make my move. Got you. Um, and under the more optimum conditions, and then, you know, buck inventory. Um, is direction of travel, what time they're traveling. Try to put it all together as one big piece. Take yeah. all the little pieces and put it together as one one big move or one one big action. Yeah, so it's not like one card pull is going to dictate what you're doing. It's just the collection of all that data throughout the entire year. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right, cool. And then it's just, just out of curiosity in your part of the state, what, what would you consider a good deer every year? Like what, what caliber of deer are you, are you trying to put down every year? Trying to get to at least a three and a half year old now. Okay. Um, and what's that look like for it's a rack? 118 inch or better eight points typically. Yeah. You know, right around that 120 bubble. Yeah. Um, maybe even down to 115 depending on the mat, but the mass should make up for it. But yeah, not always necessarily biggest cages, but we do, we do get some bucks with some pretty nice mass that don't have great tine length. Yeah. And so is that an average or a good representation of your area, would you say? That's probably above average. Above average, okay. We have a lot of deer. A majority of our deer are still taken in this area are year and a half olds. Okay. Um, And then, um, you know, some guys will start to see getting into the two and a half year olds. That might be the biggest buck they've ever seen in 25 years of hunting. Yeah. Could be a hundred and ten inch eight point, yeah. um, and, and if that's what they want to harvest, then you know, and that's their biggest deer, by all means, go for it for sure. Yeah. You know, it, shoot what makes you happy. Yeah. Um, and then I'm trying to work my way up into three and a half 
plus year old deer. Yeah. So we'll see when I start to get into the public, how, if that sticks to it or, you know, in the areas I'm going to probably be hunting, I know there's not a ton of three and a half year olds. It's going to be majority going to happen under. You mentioned you're going to be jumping into public. Have you lost or are you in the process of losing some of your private that you hunt? I'll be losing some private due to transfer of ownership. Okay. And uh, the pieces I'll be able to hunt will be limiting um, as far as when I can go in and then size, too. They're just not not big parcels. Right. Um, okay. One of them's only four acres, so um, I can blow it out real quick, but that's when I don't go in very far mm-hmm. um, and stick more on the, the feeding side and a couple of main travel port trails that they go up and down travel north and south but um other places i'll go in and and push harder gotcha all right um all right so a three-year-old in your area is cream of the crop it sounds like i mean how how often are 130 class four-year-olds roughly <laughs> give or take is that is that a rarity in your area yeah within Within uh, probably about 20 miles of me in any direction, that's going to be, I'm not going to say it's super rare, but um, they're not going to be, there will not be three of them every two square miles. Right. Okay. Um, Might have one every four to seven square miles. Gotcha. And so if you drop a buck like that, that starts to get talked about. Like in your area, oh, yeah. that's a big deal. Okay. All right. And so what, what's the vibe in, in this neighborhood that you hunt, uh, or where you're currently hunting, where you currently live, um, amongst hunters? I mean, is it, a, is it a, a brown it's down type vibe? I mean, people are just shooting deer because yeah. they, they like shooting deer or is there any talk of management? A lot of it's just brown. It's down. Yeah. Um, especially on like my four acre piece. Um, yeah. I, that particular piece. Uh, sometimes I have years where I only see four to six mature does and fawns, and I'll have 10, 12 bucks on camera. Yeah. But only one of them is two and a half or older. Yeah. Um, and I'll have other years where I only have three bucks on camera and a lot of does and and yearlings on cam that are that are does so okay all right uh, it's it kind of has an ebb and flow it seems like yeah what's the quantity like i mean are there a ton of does or are does limited as well um a lot of areas there's there's quite a few does okay. that can that can be taken out um on that four acre piece, there's times I have shot a young buck because there's three times as many bucks as there are does. And I don't want to impact the herd by taking out a doe. And I just cut 20% of my doe population out. Right. Right. You know, it's not a decision I really want to make, but, um, family likes venison too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, I often feel when I, talk about deer i feel like i'm on almost an arrogant high horse if that makes sense and only because i i i can't relate to this what what you're what you're talking about 
right? I would just be like, even I am all for, I am all for people going out and shooting whatever they want that makes them happy. If that's a forky uh, spike, whatever, go do it. I have no problem with that. But um, it, do, do people in your, in your area ever complain about the lack of big bucks or uh, like just the management in general of the state? Oh yeah, all yeah. the time. And what what is your what are your what are your thoughts on that? I try to explain to them that the real, one of the key pieces is going to be your buck to doe ratio, right? And if you want to let, if you're truly a meat hunter exclusively for meat, and you have one buck to every 15 to 20 does because we have areas like that mm-hmm. not far from here then don't shoot that forky that comes through that weighs 115 pounds shoot the seven eight year old doe that he's chasing that weighs 165 pounds yeah and they're also usually the matriarchal does that you can go out opening morning perfect wind and they will bust you from <laughs> 80 yards away with Absolutely, for no reason, right at daybreak, they just right. notice one small. I I do look forward to gun season for that because that's like my equalizer right there that I can <laughs> I can get back at. Them. Remember when you busted me opening day? <laughs> Kapow! <laughs> yep. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. That's funny. Uh, that's cool, man. Um, I always think of uh, Michigan as having like a really good, rich hunting tradition do you do you take part in those traditions like uh, a hunt camp or a like during the gun season or uh, big family gatherings that kind of surround the deer season or the the deer seasons? Yeah, I, I used to. Um, my dad got me into hunting, and then uh, he passed like twelve years ago now. So, yeah. uh, so we had a property that he hunted for twenty five years that him and uh, his best friend and my myself we hunted that um yeah first two days it was like that was we missed the alarm clock one day at 5 30 in the morning and woke up at seven hearing gunshots and you <laughs> didn't see three guys getting out of the, you know getting out of the trailer fast enough and whatnot um and then since i've lost those properties to to go up where i hunt now it's um straight wall cartridge and I, lots I, I just don't have the ability always to to get out gun hunting um but back then yeah michigan is a huge heritage state yeah. um the first few days of gun season you wouldn't even see the school buses go by because the schools are shut down yeah uh to get the kids off um but yeah that i grew up with that heritage um hunting about 35 miles north of, of where I grew up. Okay. Doing that. All right. And so right now your personal main focus then is is 
archery and bow hunting yeah yeah here in michigan um i'm gonna be doing a couple of hunts in a couple of years that are gonna be rifle but mm-hmm. um i haven't shot a deer with a rifle in 10 years okay so that's the effort that you're putting into uh into that now talk to me a little bit about this is this is something that I'm going to have to face. I have a gut feeling that my main big property is I'm going to lose it within the next five years. Uh, the, the current land, the, there's like six brothers and sisters. They, who, who own the land, right? The person who lives there, uh, now, uh, is having some health issues, I believe, right. Uh, it's preventing her from being mobile, and and so I think she's going to have to move off the farm, right? This opens up a whole can of worms, and I have my gut. Move your family in, right? Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, I mean, I, I would love, I would love for that to happen. My wife's job just is something different. But anyway, I feel like I feel like I'm going to have to make a move. Right. And luckily I just got this new farm to hunt, but if I want to continue to hunt the way I hunt, I'm going to have to adopt public like what you're doing or start that, that door knocking process again, which now in Iowa is, is, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's damn near impossible. If you're looking for a a chunk, like a comparable chunk to what I have uh, currently, it's impossible. And then with land, like land prices, it's going to be impossible to purchase, you know, a property, uh, you know, and then. Yeah. You almost have to sell one of the kids. Right. And there's days, you know, there's <laughs> right. days I'd think about it, uh, for, for, uh, a primo chunk, but talk to me a little bit about this, I guess, transition from private to public that you're going to have to make and how you feel you're going to approach it similar, you know, the, the same or different. Uh, I know it's going to have its challenges. Um, boots on the ground is going to be my, the biggest part. Um, one of the pieces that I'm looking at, I scouted it last two, I'm sorry. I scouted it last summer before I broke my leg and, um, that I came across two trees that I knew had tree stands in it Mm -hmm. and we put over a mile going through. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was some nasty, nasty blown downs and, um, definitely some good bedding areas we came across Yeah, and it's on the fringe of marsh and then ag about a half mile West. Okay. And it's the transitional timber piece between there. Um, gotcha. And, and you, I know there's definitely going to be some, some big deer in there. Um, so when the pressure comes in from the West off the egg, these deer like to go out into this, uh, into this marsh and it runs about five to seven miles North and South. Okay. Um, this marsh does, and, and I'm just coming in off of one access point that I know there, I know the potentials there. Right. Um, now it's going to be, probably a three-year learning curve of where i really need to be and right. possibly even the crop rotation that's going on a quarter to a half mile away yeah. of where some of the deer will be bedding so i i foresee it as being probably a, a three to five year learning curve and hopefully have some success in the middle during it 
gotcha. On on this adventure, this this new adventure, then um, on this property that you, you said you scouted, do you feel that the two trees that had tree stands in them, or that you thought had tree stands in them, in that area is a lot, or do you feel like if you play your cards nope. right? No, you're saying it's you're saying it's yeah it's primo. If I play my cards right. This is this could be a primo primo piece. Yep. Um, I uh, I'm not a small guy, and the guy I took with me, he runs like three to five miles a day, and he's in tip top shape. Yeah. And when we got two thirds away to where I wanted to get to, I said I don't see any sign back here, and he said that's because nobody in God's green earth wants to go through. We just went through to get back here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and somebody in his condition to even be sitting there panting going, yeah, I don't think anybody wants to come back here to, you know, try and hunt. Yeah. Um, I was three quarters of a mile past the nearest location where I'd seen any, any form of somebody hunting for okay. like trees being trimmed or anything. Right. Is, was there, was there much deer sign on this piece? Oh yeah. 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 So there's tons of trails. So you felt like you uh, found a little bit of a honey hole. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my question is, because it's public, because I personally don't feel that there are any honey holes left on public ground <laughs> in the United States, especially east of the Mississippi River. Um, uh, what happens if you go in there and you invest all this time and then you you ultimately run into that pressure that you you were hoping not to? Then I'll have to start playing chess around around the hunters. Yeah, uh, out strategize them, um, use their wind to bump deer off of them to me, um, access better than they are. Um, there's a couple landowners that I think I can reach out to and will give me permission to walk their property line to then cut into this public to keep my wind and um you know keep some noise down as well going in right dude i'm telling you right now that is an underutilized strategy that (laughs) I, i don't i honestly don't think people do enough man i got access to the like i started uh on this one farm that i am that I'm in the process of losing right now by just knocking on the door saying, Hey, can I walk through your field? And it, it, it led to me getting access to hunt that farm, but man, it opened up a whole chunk of public for me that just did, that was not getting, it was all getting touched from the South going North. And so all the pressure was coming South to North and the deer were just getting pushed into this private. And so I felt like if I could get in, in between that, then they would they would come right by me in the mornings and then come right by me again in the afternoon. So, um, yep. man, I really feel like if you're going to take one thing away from this episode is, man, knock on doors for access, not necessarily for hunting permission, but just to walk through their property to just, get to yep, get to yep. another property. Yep. Yeah, there's a farmer that um, I'm pretty sure I can get access to access one point of this. Um, and then loop around a half mile away from another landowner to access uh, from the west. Yeah. So I should be able to access from the south and the west, half mile to three quarters of a mile away apart from each other, and get into where I need to 
um, to try and make some moves. Yeah. And that's, that, that is huge. If you don't have to get in and bump the deer around, um, that's, that's going to be the critical piece to it all. Well, that and the fact that this giant wave of pressure from the parking lots are going to be coming right at you and they're Mm going to be pushing, like they're going to be potentially pushing everything in your direction. Right. Right. Um, You mentioned something about this marsh that's kind of got me uh, inner, like I'm intrigued about is the marsh. Like what, what shape is this marsh? Is it long and skinny or is it more like a, a circle? Long and skinny. Okay. Um, it runs along the Saginaw Bay. On oh, okay. One side of the Saginaw Bay. Okay. So we have some residential properties on the bay itself, on the water, and then about 200 yards in is where this marsh starts, um, and it goes north quite a ways up along the bay. Okay. And so, in in that long skinny, uh, you know, on the on the way to that ag field. I feel like it would create. I feel like it would create a, a couple really cool opportunities for edge or pinch points, where the deer don't want to walk through the marsh, but they'll walk alongside of it. Is, is that what you found? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Seeing the trails and um, looking on Onyx and a couple other mapping programs, that's exactly what I'm seeing. Is is they're using the edge of the the fragmites in the marsh and the wood line um and to access these farm fields um anywhere from right on the edge to within 10 feet either direction okay into the fragmites or into the timber okay all right um how many how many access points are on this piece of public that are not that where you would not have to go through private but just like parking parking lots parking lots i think there's six six okay so it's a pretty big chunk of public it's a big it's pretty good sized chunk okay how how populated is the area as far as people are concerned fairly populated you're it's getting into more like a township and country type setting but there's still quite a few people um, in the area Gotcha. Some on the bay will even walk out their back door and try and access it from the east too. Okay. So, right. Um, not many, but but some do. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So then, now that you, I mean, do you have any trail cameras out there right now trying to collect information? No. no. There, I haven't. I haven't played with trail cameras so much on public a whole lot yet. Right. Um, is that legal? In, like, is that legal in Michigan? It's, yeah, it it's is. legal. Okay. It is. All right. Uh, I just worry about them growing legs. Oh yeah, that uh, <laughs> that sucks it, when that when that happens. But that's what that's why cable locks are for. But when they when you put a cable lock to them, then they just kick the shit out of your camera until it breaks and right. whatever. Anyway, yeah. um, are you are you are you thinking that you're going to take that risk and put a couple trail cameras yeah. out on that piece? Yep, yep. There's a couple of spots I found that I I do want to get some up i'll probably get them try to get them about eight ten eight to ten feet up in the air and angled down okay um and uh i do the whole black friday special too or i'll try and buy it you know come across them nowadays for like 30 40 bucks where if it gets stolen or smashed or vandalized in some sort it's not a 
$200 cell cam or, you know, right. $150 cell cam. Right. And I'll tell you, I mean, I have a couple of those trail cameras as well where I almost look at them as disposable. Disposable, yeah. Yeah, which exactly. is unfortunate, but they're cheap. They're, 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 they don't have a ton of functionality, but they are, uh, they take a picture and really that's ultimately what I want where it's clear enough where I can go. I, I want to shoot this buck or not. So it's very binary in the approach. Yes or no. Uh, this picture is saying, yes, I need to move in here. Uh, it could be a high traffic area. It could be, um, yeah, whatever the case may be, all I want it to do is tell me what the activity is like in that area. So, and I'm going to use them to tell me how many people might be coming through. Maybe I don't, maybe I'm missing something too, that maybe yeah. there will be more people than, than I initially thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what I've seen, and I think part of it is because of just the work it takes to get to where I want to get to a lot of the pressures seem to be, a half to three quarters of a mile to the south. And then it um, stops and, and then you keep going. Uh, yep. Okay. Yep. All the access, all the access roads are to the south. This is the furthest north one. And it's probably the roughest terrain out of, uh, out of all of them. Yeah. That's cool. Um, do you feel people, uh, did you see any sign of people accessing pr- the private ground to get onto the public at all? no no nope well that's a good that's a win so it, it really does seem like the cards are stacked in in your favor just if you're willing to work for it you got to just yeah. i mean that's the moral of the story any any time right. i've ever been on a piece of public there is a shutoff line right there is a line right. where people just don't go past and usually it's a big hill or a big drop off or a wet area or just something that limits movement or human movement and that's where people set up if and then you you take you go and sometimes it's only a hundred yards past that you see like a a scrape line that's just holy shit i should have been here in the fall and uh yeah i definitely i definitely see that uh so ultimately this year you you found you're losing some public or excuse me you're losing some private you've uh you're putting a lot of eggs in this uh, public basket What's your goal, ultimate goal for this upcoming season then? Ultimate goal will be a, a three and a, at least one three and a half year old buck. Okay. Off private or excuse me, off public. Uh either one. Okay. All either right. One. I I I would prefer public just to like Yeah, shout say, out public. Yeah, I did it because yeah. <laughs> um uh I like to think I kind of still got it, I guess, or, yeah. you know, know what I'm doing, but that'll yeah. be more of the challenge of, of taking on the public portion. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you are still going to have access to some private though. Uh, some, is that yeah. like, yep. how big of a piece is that private that you have access That's to? That's the four acres. The four acres, acres. The main okay. four acre piece. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're, not a lot. all right. So your only private is four acres. Yeah. Okay. There we go. That, that yeah. there, that paints a better picture there. All right. So four acres versus, you know, sounds like hundreds of acres of, of public to stomp through. And, uh, it seems like you kind of got it, got it figured out. Uh, and you're still hoping for that three-year-old on wh- wherever it comes, it comes, but you're hoping, yep. 
you're hoping that uh i mean obviously you're gonna have to hunt the public much more than more. the four acres of private yep. yeah 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 how much four time... acres is kind of can be an ace up my sleeve gotcha um, it has some years where it it can turn out a three and a half year old at almost any time yeah um but i try now i, I it's very limiting it's usually a one or two sit and and done gotcha um, so i have to be very precise when and when i go in the day has to be perfect. perfect yeah okay um and you feel that that public just from your you scouting it has the potential to hold that caliber of deer i think so yeah all right cool man well i hope it pays off for you i hope you walk in there and you're like oh shit there's <laughs> there's a booner there's a 170 in here <laughs> yeah. That'd be oh, nice. So this is what Hunt I was like. Yeah. <laughs> right. Every tree's got one. Every tree's got yeah, one. Yeah. Well, yeah. um, man, that I mean, it sounds like I got I kind of just got excited for you. I feel like I I mean, it sounds like you're on the right path. You sounds like you know what you need to do. Sounds like you kind of have the access figured out. You're gonna start collecting trail camera intel here pretty soon. Um, be careful. Don't get greedy. And uh, check your trail cameras too many times. Uh, yeah, push them, I know. Push them back towards the the rest of the the private or the public or even off the the public into private. But man, it sounds yeah. like you got it figured out, and it's just a matter of time at this point. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I'll be ordering a new saddle this year. So um, nice. Is the leg healthy enough now to get back out again and and get the job done? It's just starting to get there. Yeah. Um, I've been hitting the treadmill quite a bit the last two weeks now, even yeah. six, seven months post-surgery, and it's it has its days where it says it's done and over with. Uh, what uh, what happened? Um, kind of a freak thing. Yeah. I was parking one of my motorcycles, and uh, kickstand sprung back up on me as I was – touched it to the ground and i caught the bike from going down and snapped my uh, about a golf ball sized chunk out of the side of my knee (laughs) i got a a plate and seven screws holding it together golly man i I tell you what i i had i posted a picture on my instagram page of my knee recently with a screw and a staple in it and i just got uh i guess it would be a cortisone or a steroid shot in my knee and it feels a lot better. And actually, it made my, not only does my knee feel better, but it, it's made my back feel better because I'm not favoring the, the knee yep. as much anymore. Posture is right. Posture, yeah. And so I'm feeling I'm feeling good on that. And now I was feeling great. And then now all of a sudden my shoulder's starting to hurt again or uh, starting to hurt. So, God, I'm just like getting old sucks. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, I tell you what, Jack, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to BS with us a little bit. Um, good luck this upcoming Thanks season. Thanks for having man. me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You're going to have to keep us posted because I want to, uh, you know, as the season goes or if you do lay one down on that public, man, I want to I want to break it all down again. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck this year if I don't uh, hook up to you beforehand. And there you have it, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to the the good people of the companies that support this podcast. Tethered Wasp, Vortex, and Hunt Stand. 
do me a favor, go visit their websites and support the companies that support this podcast. Um, and, and just let them know that, you know, Hey, I heard about your product. I heard Dan say good things about your product on, on his podcast. And, uh, that's why I'm buying. That's why I've decided to purchase, you know, some of your broadheads or some of your optics or, or a saddle or, or, or start using your app. So, uh, Huge shout out to them. Huge shout out to all of you, which is probably the most important thing. Again, the people. Uh, I am happy every time you guys reach out to me. I'm happy every time I get a message. I get a, a, a picture, you know, a picture of somebody sending me a buck of, you know, of a buck they shot, a comment or a question. I I try my hardest to respond to each and every one of them. Uh, it, sometimes it feels like that's a full-time job, but I really do appreciate each and every one of you for taking time out of your day when you could be doing other things, but you listen to me talk nonsense for you know an hour. So huge shout out to all of you. And again, it's all about those good vibes, right? So we're gonna leave it like we always leave it. Good vibes in, good vibes out. And I'll talk to you next time.